Welcome to The Edge, a Skillsoft podcast for learners and leaders alike. In each episode, we focus on a topic related to learning and growth in the workplace. This podcast was born at the start of the pandemic, so naturally, we've talked a great deal about COVID-19 and its impact on the workforce. As the pandemic reaches its one-year milestone and as we head into Women's History Month, we are going to bring you a special series about the impact of COVID-19 on women in the global workforce. To say that the virus has been devastating to women is an understatement. So let's talk about this. Female-dominated industries like hospitality, retail, travel and tourism, they have been hit hard by a global health crisis that has literally shuttered once thriving businesses. Women overwhelmingly still play the role of primary caregiver in their households, forcing them to shoulder the burdens of family care while struggling to maintain careers. Pressures like these have taken their toll, and we're going to talk more about that in today's episode. But we've also lost ground. The gender inequality issues that we have been working so hard to address, the impact will be felt for decades. And so in this special series of The Edge, I'm bringing together a panel of women who are leaders in the field of learning and development, and we are going to discuss the ways in which we can solve for this global crisis. But let's start with some sobering numbers. According to the National Women's Law Center, women in the United States have lost 5.3 million net jobs since the onset of the pandemic. As of last month, 2.3 million women had left the U.S. workforce, meaning they are no longer working or looking for work. In January alone, 275,000 women left the workforce. This leaves the workforce participation rate in the United States for women at 57%, and it hasn't been this low since 1988. The severity of this issue becomes even more overwhelming when you look at it through a global lens. Globally, women's jobs are almost twice more vulnerable in the pandemic than their male counterparts, according to a report by McKinsey. That same report notes that while women make up 39% of global employment, they actually account for 54% of overall job losses. Now, the pandemic has been a major catalyst for these outcomes, but the issue also stems from long-standing socioeconomic inequities, from disparities in wages, to subtle yet powerful unconscious biases in the workplace. We know there's no shortage of news coverage on the pandemic's impact on women. Likewise, we know there's no shortage of data, thanks to research from governments and NGOs and more. But you know what there's a shortage of? Solutions. And by solutions, I mean we have to bring people together, people who are passionate, ideas-driven, and ready to act to improve women's economic prospects on a worldwide scale. We need to enable these changemakers to take action to better the prospects for women. And we need to provide the tools, resources, and support for women, their organizations, and their allies so we can help to regain all that we've lost. And it's not only about jobs and wages. This crisis is so complex and full of interwoven inequities that our solutions must also address the long-term ramifications, the ripple effects that for years into the future might obstruct women's access to career paths, career paths that allow for growth, fulfillment, and leadership. Now, look, 
I've worked in a range of industries where my organization's focus has allowed me to make an impact on issues that I care deeply about. So this, this is a bit of a passion project, but it's one that aligns to Skillsoft's values and mission and will allow us to drive thoughtful and meaningful change. In this first episode, we'll focus on the issue itself, bringing to light some compelling research and candid perspectives from our four guests. Our goal for today's conversation is to foster understanding around why it is so absolutely vital that we enable and empower women. Now let's introduce today's guests. They are female leaders here at Skillsoft who share this passion. They are thought leaders who have track records for empowering women and enabling their success. And so I want to preemptively thank them for lending their experiences, their expertise, and their stories to this podcast. And you just might recognize the couple. Joining us are returning guests, Elisa Vincent, Vice President, Skillsoft Global Talent Enablement, and Rasha Moga, Executive Vice President and General Manager for Skillsoft's Leadership and Business Products. And please welcome to The Edge for the first time, Mayusha Cobb, PhD, Vice President, Brand Strategy and Marketing Communications for Skillsoft, and Rosie Kanz, Vice President for Skillsoft's Asia-Pacific Business. I want to start this podcast off a bit differently, and we're going to do it by sharing with our audience one memorable milestone on our paths to becoming leaders. And I'll start with me. You know, honestly, and Rosie, you can, you can, you're probably going to get a good laugh out of this, but for me, it was taking on a sales leadership role when I had never been in sales. And when I asked, um, why, why me? Our president said, I don't want someone with sales expertise. I have plenty of that. What I need is a leader who can best support and enable this team. And it wasn't until that moment that I, I'd realized, oh my goodness, I, I am a leader. I'm viewed as a leader. And so I want to publicly thank Naris right here and right now for giving me that opportunity. Um, so why don't we turn it over to you, Elisa? What is that major or memorable milestone on your path. Thank you, Michelle. So my first career moves were in higher education and in consulting until one day I met a former president and COO of a mid-sized global for-profit organization um, who told me that I had the right leadership skills to build a talent development function in her company. And when I asked her what those skills were, she said to me, you're a multiplier. She created a role for me And that was my entry into corporate America. It was a senior leadership role. And through it, I grew the most I ever have in my career. So what Marianne saw in me were my transferable skills, as we say. She saw my potential. And because of her, I'm doing something today that I love. And I will always be grateful to her. We're still very much in touch, even though I'm no longer at that organization and she's no longer at that in that role. And so it's really about paying it forward, identifying those moments, and she really helped unlock that for me. Thank you. That's that's wonderful, and and she sounds one she sounds wonderful for giving you that opportunity, Maisha. Why don't why don't you share with us your milestone? Yeah, thanks, Michelle, for having me. I think leadership is a journey, and my story is a little bit different. I don't think there's any one point when a, a leader told me that I was a leader. I think there was an awakening for me that happened a couple years ago, which is ironic because I had already been in the workforce for about 17 or 18 years. 
And in that moment, I recognized that leadership doesn't need to look and sound and feel like every other leader, that real leadership for me was stepping into my own voice. And and once I had that epiphany and really went for it and, and leaned into it, I was able to tap into my own innate non-imposter syndrome version of leadership. And uh, it became a turning point for me. Um, Maisha, thank you so much for that. I, you know, what I, what I hear from you is that it's not necessarily about somebody telling us we're leaders, but about us believing it ourselves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for so many women in particular, we carry around that imposter syndrome. And once we mm. really tap into it ourselves, it enables us and frees us to be a different type of leader. Absolutely. Rashim, you are my most recent guest on The Edge. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that milestone or moment or, or perhaps series of moments that led to this empowerment, this feeling of, I am truly a leader? Thank you, Michelle. For me, it was actually very early on in my career when I got an opportunity to lead projects for a top-tier client and build my first team ground up. And it was unique for me because I was just a couple of years into my career when I got this opportunity. I said yes, even though I was scared. Because my mantra in life has always been, if you get an opportunity that resonates with you, say yes and then figure out how to be successful. And it worked out for me. And ever since then, I have always said yes to an opportunity, never said no if it resonated with me. And after that, I have figured out how to be successful. So that risk-taking ability that I think um, we all need as leaders, um, that is what I tapped into very early on in my career. Well, it doesn't sound like your inner compass is leading you astray. I think that's fantastic. Rosie, welcome. This is your first time on The Edge. Can, can we ask you that same question? Um, what's one memorable milestone on your own path? Yeah, thank you, Michelle. And it's really interesting listening to the others here because you realise that that anyone's journey is so personal. But as I reflect on my time as a leader, which is um, over almost a decade, it, it's actually been my successes as well as my struggles that have proven to be my milestones. Um, and my first struggle was, was really merely in securing my first leadership role in the first place. And, and it actually took a male ally to really get behind me and support and promote my campaign into leadership. And let me tell you, that took quite some convincing despite my credentials. So after that, after I actually earned the role, um, I had to admit I did spend a long time feeling like an imposter, as others have already referred to, until I felt genuine success came. Um, and now I would say a milestone for me in becoming a leader is, is in appreciating that leadership is as much about humility and a willingness to make mistakes, to not be perfect and to learn as it is about performance. And that took me some time to get to. Thank you. You know, at, at some point, I think we're going to have to do an entire episode on imposter syndrome, because I, I worry that there are too many women who believe that they suffer from it, when in fact, they're amazing leaders, they're amazing women in their roles. And, you know, we, we, we need to find ways to overcome this. But you know what, that's a podcast for another day. Um, 
Alisa, let, let's let's move on. You and I had a conversation back in, I think it was December, and we shared some predictions for the events and the trends that we believed would shape learning and development in 2021. And, you know, for you, the pandemic's economic impact on women was front and center. And since then, you've been doing some research. You're in the middle of authoring a Skillsoft 360 report on the topic. Can can you help our listeners sort of, you know, gain some context and share your insights on the magnitude of the challenge? Yes, Michelle. I, and I want to start with a bit of a personal reflection. Over this past year, as a mom of two elementary and middle school children, I became acutely aware and started to really feel the weight of this pandemic on a parent's home life and started to connect with other parents around the world and disproportionately women in my network who, as we all know, um, still carry much of the responsibility of child rearing, elder care, and general caregiving. Right, I noticed that uh, we were making moves both voluntarily and involuntarily in the workforce, moves that I could tell immediately back in May 2020 when we first started having these conversations, Michelle, were going to have long-term effects globally on gender equality, the workforce, women's advancement, you name it. We already have been sharing throughout this podcast some pretty staggering numbers, Michelle, but the economic impact of COVID-19 on women as a group has been manifold. On the one hand, as the overwhelming majority of, of workers in education and healthcare and different social assistance programs, women's paid workload has become greater and more complex. For hundreds of thousands of women, the crisis has disseminated their work opportunities and for millions more substantially increased their unpaid care work. So in more immediate terms, it is the unique nature of this crisis hitting women's sectors first and bringing with it unique and enhanced care needs, less out-of-home care support and unpaid labor loads, that has many concerned, myself included, that the COVID-19 downturn could impact this generation of working women for decades to come. This disproportionate rate of job loss, too, for women is simply a result of, of centuries and centuries of occupational gender segregation between men and women. Women make up the majority of the workforce in sectors which have been slain by the coronavirus lockdown, retail, food services, hospitality, education. So I say all this, the news and the numbers are grim, yes. But here at Skillsoft, we are future-focused on what we can do to stop this pink pandemic in its tracks quickly and effectively, and we can. That is the thing. If we all bring our collective focus, our creativity, our genius to this global challenge, we can change its course. It will take time. So that's why we need to act now. In the Skillsoft 360 report, we will focus on solutions for number one, women. For number two, allies of women. And for number three, organizations. We will include solutions that outline how we can amplify our own voices, enable our growth and development, as we just talked about in our personal stories, upskill, reskill, rebuild our careers, develop new career tracks innovatively, 
supporting each other effectively, and refilling our talent pipelines inclusively, we know that diversity drives better results. There's a great deal of brain power right now out in the talent market and excellence as well. So in our 360 report and in subsequent learning experiences and thought leadership that we gather and disseminate, we will outline opportunities and consequences of acting now. And I'm so excited to be able to share that with everyone in our community. Maisha, you and I have been working together on our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and we've been having a lot of fun doing so. Could you share for just a moment, picking up on, on a lot of that I've outlined here, what you've found particularly significant regarding the consequences of the pandemic and how this pandemic has been a catalyst for things like making workforce inequalities worse, erasing gains, and other challenges. Yeah, thanks, Elisa, for those staggering statistics. It's always sobering to hear the reality of it. I think there's a tendency for us to otherize, otherize this type of a subject and think that it happens to someone else and, and not us. And for me, this is very personal. I have a sibling, I have cousins, who friends, who've all been impacted by COVID through some form of a job loss. And for many of them, those jobs aren't going to come back for them. And so, you know, as I sit very grateful at home with my ability to work from home, it's not lost on me that this is wiping out decades of gains that women have made and wiping out lots of economic equality that people have, have really tried to build for years. I want to talk a little bit about intersectionality, just to piggyback on what you were asking me and how this is playing out from a couple of perspectives. So you've talked about women and I just, I want to drive it home a little bit. Thinking about women, not just as one group who's just just a woman, but thinking about women as caregivers. And what about those women who are caregivers who also happen to work in restaurants or retail or education? And may also be caring not only for children, but for parents in low-wage jobs that maybe don't give them the ability to to be at home. And that's one angle of intersectionality. But if we talk about what you just asked about, which is diversity, the, the numbers are even more staggering. So let's talk about being a woman of color, earning lower wages having no options again to work remotely. And what you start to see is that Black women, Latina women in particular, are really impacted by this more so than than white women. I had some stats from a recent Fortune article, and it showed that unemployment in January fell to 6.3%, yet it rose to 8.5% for Black women and 8.8% for Latina women. And in that same period, it fell to 5.5% for white men and 5.1% for white women. Until we begin to deal with the problems of systemic inequities that are pervasive, that continue to lead to income disparities, 
Even by the way, when education gaps are closed, those disparities continue to exist. It's not going to just be COVID that continues to bring about this, this disparity. It's going to be other things as well. So we have a real obligation to act. And I'm happy that you spoke about the work that we're doing here at Skillsoft. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be here because we don't just look at this as a number and we're not otherizing the issue. This is really personal. Many of these jobs, as I mentioned earlier, they're not going to come back. And so we have an obligation and a duty as brothers and sisters here on this planet to help people do better and to get the skills that they need. And I'm very thrilled to be a part of doing that. You know, when I think about this, it's not about the short-term consequences. And when you really look at this, this pink pandemic has put us decades behind. You know, I think all the work that we have been doing in the last few decades to bring and retain more women in the workforce and to build a pipeline of women leaders has been canceled by the effects of these uh, this COVID. I feel like we'll have to start from the bottom again. The leadership pipeline takes years to build. And if you take out 54% of that pipeline, you're just left with the same problem, if not, uh, uh, you know, if not bigger than having not having enough women for leadership positions for the next few decades. Now, uh, Michelle, you know that I lead an uh, initiative called the Empowered Women of the World with a goal to empower women to discover, visualize, and actualize their success. And in my three years of leading this initiative, I've learned how hard it is for women to put themselves first and to really discover what success means to them. A lot of that discovering of success comes from building self-confidence, knowing that they can be successful leaders and being financially independent. And as a result of effects of this pandemic, women will lose their buying power. They will again be financially dependent. And think about it, what does that do to the children of today, both boys and girls, who grow up seeing men as leaders and women as homemakers? That mindset that we have been trying to change for years, that women can be what they want to be and become great leaders, that will need to be changed again. And then there is a business perspective altogether. You know, So many women being out of the workforce will mean that there will be no diversity of thought in the solutions that we build. The bias that we currently see in AI will increase manifold and it will skew so many data sets that, currently, that are currently used in AI algorithms. There's so many dimensions to this impact that we can't even comprehend right now. So it, it becomes, you know, so important today, more than ever before, to make sure that we provide each other that sense of connection, that sense of community, and build the capability so that that pipeline doesn't dry out, so that we, we are not put decades behind, and it doesn't take another century or more uh, to bring women to to where we are today and and uh, to achieve parity. Yeah, you know, I think I think that that's great perspective, Rashim. And you know, Rosie, I want you to jump in here because we've been really talking about or at least I started off with a view of what this looked like here in the United States. But you you've taken an international perspective and actually the piece that you wrote 
is what spawned kind of this um, entire broader effort on behalf of Skillsoft. So, so tell us about what's happening um, in the rest of the world. You, you've 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 done so much research on your own in the Asia Pacific region. Region, we we need that international perspective. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. And I, I really have to say it's it's exactly. Um, the state of the nation that Maisha and Resham have been mapping out for us already. So you're right, in December 2020, um, I wrote an article entitled The Pink Pandemic Addressing Diversity Issues Highlighted by COVID-19. And here I talk about exactly what we are discussing right here, which is the disproportionate impact that it has had on women the world over. So here's some key numbers from an Asia-Pacific perspective. So in Japan, women account uh, account for at least 66% of the coronavirus era job losses. Um, in Australia, according to Monash University, the Centre for Health, Educa- uh, Health Research, Australian women lost jobs at a greater rate early in the pandemic. About 55% of jobs lost just in April were held by women, even though they accounted for only 47% of the workforce. Now, in general terms, I mean, it's a more systemic issue, of course, the gender gap in the labour market are more pronounced in the Asia-Pacific region than across the OECD. And women in the region are therefore more likely to experience poverty and deprivation. Um, Another startling fact is women in Asia are on average 70% less likely than men to even be in the workforce in the first place. Um, In Asia-Pacific, there is only one woman in leadership positions for every four men, and women carry out most of the unpaid work, you know, providing care for children, elderly, sick, uh, and disabled family members, as well as doing other unpaid um, housework. So in APAC, um, in, in the region, the gender gap on unpaid work is about three hours a day. So if you, if you factor that in and it goes to what the others are saying here. So, so here's the thing. These are disappointing numbers from a personal standpoint, but they're also disappointing from a business and economic one. So it was interesting, according to McKenzie, that advancing women's equity in the countries across Asia Pacific would actually add, get this, $4.5 trillion to their collective annual GDPs by 2025. Now, that's a 12% increase over the business-as-usual trajectory. So this should matter to all of us. Um, so I think, I think it just goes to show that it is, it is a worldwide phenomenon, um, but there are things that can be done and there are payoffs and benefits all over for, for why it should be done. Thank you so much for sharing that broader perspective, Rosie. I think it's really important. And thank you so much for highlighting this in that December piece, because I don't think we'd be here today without you. In episode two, we're going to talk all about solutions, rolling up our sleeves and recommending ways to enable and empower women on a global scale.